again, yeah, it's a difficult question because everyone's a little bit different. But I think set goals and don't put too much pressure on mm-hmm. yourself. Set small goals. If you're out of a team for whatever reason, if you're not performing too well, try and strip that back and, and probably set goals that you know you can probably achieve. Set goals that are within your limits, that are within your strength. Peel that back, start from there and work forward. If you try to overanalyze too much, you can really dig yourself into a bit of a, a dark rabbit hole. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean, I'm your host and today my guest is Scott Smith. We're discussing our key topic today which will be revolved around how to maximize athlete development in a congested schedule. So for those high performance coaches, strength conditioning coaches, but also athletes tuning in or even parents of athletes to help support them and be able to recognize when they're dealing with not only physical fatigue, but also the cognitive load that goes with travel and playing multiple games in a week. But I thank you for jumping on, Scott. We pass each other a fair bit during the week, but it's good to actually dive in and have a, have a bit of a longer chat, mate. Looking forward to it. No, thanks for having me on, Jack. Definitely looking forward to it. Listen to your podcast all the time, so it's nice to get a chance to jump on. That's for sure. Uh, good to know we have at least one listener. For those that aren't aware of your work, mate, do you want to provide us a bit of a background for how you got into the industry and, and some of the jobs that you've done? I know if you've worked across a fair few A-League teams now, but yeah, for those new to your work, take us through a bit of a, a background. Yeah, so I, I suppose like you know most people that, that work in this industry, you start off coming through university, spent a lot of time doing internships. I started off actually my first internship was as a massage therapist at Sydney Hockey mm-hmm. as I was studying my sports science degree. And then obviously jumped into a couple of diff- different sports from there, dabbled in a little bit of a rugby league, the rugby union. Although my end goal was always to end up at a football club or a soccer club. It's a sport I, I loved and, and I followed growing up. So through my university at the University of Newcastle in Sydney there, there was an opportunity to join a club by the name of Newcastle Jets as their sort of youth team intern coach and assist with the sports science duties of the first team. And that's where I sort of got my first real taste of responsibility. And I absolutely loved it. Spent about a year and a half, two years at that club. And then I moved to Western Sydney with their youth team. I was with the youth team for about a week. And then the conditioning coach there at the time, Adam Waterson, moved on to another job and the head coach, Tony Popovich, who I actually work with now, I got called into their facility one day and basically had an impromptu, impromptu interview for the role of the head of the first team. An interview I actually didn't know I was in. I didn't plan to be. He just, he just asked me a few questions. I was around the club and that was probably around 10 years ago now. And since then, I've, I've been with the same head coach for 10 That's years true. and kind of moved from club to club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's definitely, it's definitely interesting. You get settled in a state or you get quite comfortable or you're enjoying work and, and the boss comes in and goes, righto, Scott, we're, we're moving to the next project. You want to come? And you can't say no. So you move on. And that sort of led me to Melbourne. Victory. A smiling door moment. You must have made a bit of an impact in that interview, mate. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you what, I can't remember too much of what went on there. I thought it was just a general conversation. And 24 hours later, I've got the uniform on and I'm getting started. So 
So that process sort of happened from my first internship to that role. That was about a three and a half, four year process. So long time to get there, but I'm grateful it took that longer. It gave me a chance to really sort of learn, make a few mistakes, meet good people along the way. So once I got into that role, I had some good mentors to actually help guide me through, especially that 12 months, first 12 months. On the yeah, job. fantastic. Well done. That's that's amazing. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that off air, the fact you've been with Tony yeah, for, for a decade now, but that's interesting to hear the story behind how, how it all started. So for, you talked to you sort of referenced it a little bit before, but who have been some strong influences or mentors, if you like, that have helped shape your philosophy? So yeah, early days, probably not so much of philosophy, but gave me a real insight into professional sport was Benjamin Dascombe. He was a lecturer of mine at the University of Newcastle and uh, he was very knowledgeable what he does, but I liked him because he was brutally honest with everyone and basically said, if you don't knuckle down, you don't work hard, you don't put yourself out there, then don't chase this career path, but it's not easy. From probably more of a sports science SNC, Carl Dodd was a massive mentor of mine early on. Craig Duncan, I spent a lot, lot of time with at Western Sydney Wanderers as a sports science mentor and he guided me very heavily on the GPS and analysing data and it's not something you really learn too much at uni. I mean, you dabble in it, but the courses don't generally teach you the nitty-gritty of it. And obviously the head coach here, Tony Popovich, spent a long time with him, got to know him well, but he definitely keeps me honest, keeps me on my toes. And I think that's important because when you stay with a manager for so long, it can be very easy to become a bit of an echo chamber, become a bit of a yes man, or and then you don't add value. So he constantly challenged me over the years to get better and challenge his thoughts and bring in fresh ideas. And if that doesn't happen, I wouldn't be here and, and he wouldn't get better and he wouldn't succeed and we wouldn't have, you know, the program we have today. Uh, that's yeah, some great people that have helped you along the way and, and no doubt, yeah, helped you in terms of how you go about your, your craft. Do you, with those mentors and those people that you've went, like, how did you sort of forge those relationships for it to where you started to, like you said, ch- be able to be able to challenge each other, stretch each other, but then also support e- each other's work and be team team colleagues? Yeah, well, I, I suppose obviously Ben, I covered with the university side of things, but I think Carl Dodd and Craig Duncan, Carl probably more from the practical side, Craig Duncan more from the sports science side, but those two guys, I think, gave me a lot of responsibility. They challenged me about and basically said, you write the program, you create the program, you compile the report however you want. But when you get asked a question by us or somebody else, if you can't justify it, then you need to reflect and you need to ask why you're doing it. So whenever you write something on a piece of paper or you give something to an athlete or you're giving feedback to a coach, when they ask why, if you can't answer that question, then why are you putting it out there? So... When I went through those initial years, they'd always give me the responsibility to write a program up or put together a drill or analyze a report. But then they would come over the top and ask some hard questions. And I think that prepared me as well for working with athletes in general is they're going to ask questions. And if you're prepared, you can't be wrong, but you can always get better. So as long as you've got a reason and, and you're justifying why you're doing something, it doesn't mean it's probably the best practice when you reflect maybe a year or two later, but you know the decision you made at the time was with the right intention. Yeah. And I think that's it. Yeah, right. I said, mate, nailed it. That's, that's a gem straight off the bat. Love it. What about some common challenges that you faced? Talking about growth, you know, high pressure. It's a high pressure environment, elite sport. What have been some ones that sort of spring front of mind and what did you learn from it? Yeah, I think we were speaking about it off air a little bit, actually. I think the first biggest challenge is working in Australian soccer. You work 
with a very small team of people. I mean, in my role now at Melbourne Victory, I'm lucky we've got one or two people around me, Jaden, our rehab coach, and Justin Pro, who sort of oversees the club sort of high performance space. You've got shoulders to sort of bump ideas, you know, bump ideas with. And uh, But I think working in the A-League, you're generally on your own. I mean, a lot of the roles I've had, I'm the conditioning coach, I'm the sports scientist, I'm the rehab coach, I'm the recovery coach, I'm the match day coach, to sort of branch out and chat to other people outside of your sort of silo. It's very difficult to probably do things as well as you want to do it, so you've really got to focus on the basics. So I suppose that's a challenge in itself, but it's also got a lot of benefits to it because you sort of reach out and you, you learn a lot of different skills. And definitely dealing with congested schedules which we'll talk about a bit later i'm sure but working in an environment where there's a lot of travel a lot of international travel and you can be playing every three or four days and you can read as much as you want but until you're in in it you don't actually realize the effects and and what about highlights on the flip side moments that you're sort of proud of yeah highlights definitely probably my first the first job i got in sport that i got some money in the bank start Uh, now that that was really nice (laughs) yeah yeah after three and a half or four years when I suppose you question yourself a lot, you know, am I going down the right path? You know, it's a grind, you know, not getting paid or not getting paid much. So that was definitely a, a highlight and definitely living in different cities, working with different people, creating new cultures. I mean, every time you seem to move somewhere new or start a new year, it's exciting. So I've always enjoyed that. And, and they've definitely been big, big highlights. Fantastic. Well, yeah, you touched on before. Let, let's dive straight into managing cont- yeah, schedules overload but also with the focus of trying to still develop the athletes from an athletic point of view and get load through them what, what does what are some of the common signs that you sort of recognize when an athlete might be on the edge and, and you're facing a condensed schedule in season yeah it's a difficult one to answer just on its own i suppose if, if we use an example one of our condensed schedules say when we're playing in the asian champions league we've got a cup and we've got the sort of a league there's scenarios where we could be playing in perth on a sunday then your next game you're playing on a Wednesday in Tokyo. Yeah. And then you're, you're flying back to play in Brisbane on Saturday. And then that repeats again. You're off to Korea on the Wednesday. You're back in Melbourne or Sydney on the Saturday. So from a performance point of view, that's definitely, definitely got its challenges. Probably more mental than anything because you can go through with the athletes three or four weeks at a time where you actually don't have a day off and they're constantly thinking football, football, football. So psychology is a big part really understanding the athletes from a personal level and distinguishing when his muscle soreness actually just muscle soreness or when it is a little when when he's a little bit more than that and when you're traveling and you're living with each other constantly i think that's really important to understand your athlete and understand when the warning signs you really have to take notice of or maybe you understand that athlete maybe puts it on a little bit more than others and you look at it in, in a little bit of a different way so First and foremost, I think it's just the psychology of dealing with the athletes and understanding them before you take that next step. Yeah, yeah, well said, mate. Reading the room and, and like you said, the importance of understanding your athletes. Those no days off, I can imagine from a from a coach's point of view as well, there must be some challenging times where your energy starts to drop. How do, how do you sort of bring energy to the gym? And it's definitely something I've noticed you know, going past you, you seem to always have it in your voice when you've got the coach's hat on. But is that something that just comes naturally even during those more challenging blocks with travel and everything else or do you have sort of a a preparation and a mindset going into each session i think uh, yeah, good question i think i think my personality is generally quite like that i'm pretty social and i like to have a bit of an edge energy about me but 
I've definitely learned that along the way. I think the first one or two years in the environment, particularly when you're going through a lot of that trouble and a lot of that sort of congested schedule, I didn't know how to switch off. Mm. So on a 10-hour flight, I'd be reading, I'd be podcasting. When you did get a day off, I'd be spending half my day thinking about the next day. Or, But I think over time I've learned, you know, if you get half a day off, if you get a day off or if you get a flight for a few hours and, and nothing's urgent, actually enjoy that time to yourself and refresh because yeah as hard as you try sometimes you can't always hide how tired you are or how you know you know how low you might be in terms of energy wise so i've learned to manage that a lot better over the years that's for sure and from a balancing act with when you when you are designing your programs and you've got a condensed pro schedule coming up perhaps in the next training block do you have key focuses from a speed acceleration power point of view is it a little bit of everything talk us through sort of your your mindset when you're programming and you've got a condensed schedule coming up yeah so firstly i suppose my first 40 is okay the, the boys that are playing quite regularly if they're starting games regularly if they're at least coming off the bench they're probably the least of the worries because you know they're getting a decent dose of, of training load for games you know on a saturday you know on a wednesday you know on a sunday they're going to be sprinting they're going to be running they're going to be sort of challenging themselves from a physiological point of view um it's probably more staying across the boys that aren't getting many minutes or maybe traveling a lot and not getting on the pitch at all uh making sure that we're at some point in the week we're getting a little bit of load into them we're getting a little bit of high speed running we're getting some sprint distance in at the right moment um particularly in in those moments when we might be playing back-to-back home games you know and there's no trouble he's really trying to nut down and focus on the players that aren't getting a lot of load or match minutes in i think that's where i really focus a lot of my attention knowing that the boys who are playing a lot of minutes are really getting that stimulus anyway so it's more just getting their recovery making sure that they're fit and ready to go for the next game but it's the other boys who we really need to get that into those listening that work in the afl there's a similar aspect for those for the players playing sub that might only play a quarter did, would you do majority of their main training sessions straight after that game when you know the minutes they haven't played? Or is it the, you know, in training during the week? How do you sort of juggle the fact that the unknown of, you know, an injury might happen to a star player and, and now suddenly a player that's on the bench is playing a full, you know, 80 minutes of football? How do you sort of adjust that yeah. with that fluctuation of week after week? Yeah, I think I've dabbled with a couple of different sort of models. We have. We have worked on a few years ago where immediately after the game we would train or run players on the field. I've kind of gone away from that a little bit because we used to get, whether we are overseas or we're in Australia, we used to get a bit of time on field, whether that was a 20 or 30 minute window to train our players. I think that's changed a lot now with the amount of traffic that are on stadiums with a lot of the double headers, the wins game obviously growing. So they, they, they might give you a little five minute window. So I don't do any training immediately after a game. But the next day, Next morning, we're always on field. Boys who didn't play minutes who are on the bench, we make sure that we always, home or away, we get a good proper training session in. So if we're in the middle of Tokyo, we've already pre-arranged a, a training session at a stadium the next morning. The other boys might continue their sleep in. They might be doing some recovery late in the afternoon. But in the morning, we take all the boys out who need to train and make sure we get a good, good proper dose of training into them the day after a game and everyone kind of stays on the same schedule and is that that next day sessions like 80 percent of a typical game for that player for their high speed and sprint or is it you know the same as a game is it more how do you sort of plan it yeah with with the congested schedule probably not so much the amount of volume that they do in in reference to the game it's probably all about intensity getting their their sprint distance in their max speed 
um, getting some good high speed volume. So on occasions that might only be a you know a two or two and a half k session, but you're getting a good one one point five k of high speed running. You might be getting you know ninety percent of their max speed, just trying to hit those max velocity doses. And then we'll get them off feet and we'll do a little bit in the gym, whether that's, you know, strength work or whether it's some off feet conditioning work just to pull back a little bit on the amount of, you know, running load that they've got to do day after day after day. Because in football, I'm, I'm not sure on the other sports to be fair, but players who are on the bench who don't make it onto the park across that 95 minutes or if you're playing 120 minutes in Asia, if you're playing extra time, they can be doing up to six to 6.5 kilometres of running just in a warm up throughout a game. So while the game's going on, some of them are getting some good loading too. So you've got to take that into consideration. It's not necessarily a day off yeah. from playing because they're still actually running. They've got the emotional comes with it, very accelerating, the decelerating. So all of that gets factored into the next day as well. So our focus is high intensity, high intensity. And that's high balls intensity. involved? Like some soccer drills? and Yeah, we'll, we'll always try to get a little bit of a ball involved. But again, it depends on where we're traveling, is it back-to-back away games? Sometimes it's just, you know what, boys, keep your shoes on. There's no ball involved today. We're, we're running. So particularly after some long-haul flights, if you're going from Perth to Tokyo, for example, that's at least 10 hours. Then you're on a bus. Then you're constantly on a bus to go to training. Then you play. Then the next day after training, you're back on a plane. So sometimes we, we take the ball out of it because you don't want to risk them trying to hit a long ball or hit a shot at goal even if they're just mucking around and they ping a yep. quad so sometimes you have to pull them back and now nah, boys we're just preparing you to be ready to play but sorry lads you're not you're not using all time. that's interesting and thanks for sort of sharing the philosophies change from straight after the game to then the next day with the context provided makes a lot of sense what about the time that you that the athletes and staff are spent traveling is that do you, does the do the coaches and staff use that for meetings and education? Is it you know, is it used just to let the athletes switch off? Talk us through that sort of balance. Probably probably for the athletes, we we use that time for them to actually switch off. For a lot of the time, that ends up being their day off. I mean, again, if I use an example in Sydney, we 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 played a game in Sydney one night. We finished at ten o'clock at night, and then we pack up and we had to go straight to the airport to catch a flight to go to Korea. The Asian Champions League rules require teams to be in the host country three days before kickoff. So sometimes you had to actually get straight on the plane. So that time for the athletes was more spent time to themselves, make sure they eat well, recover well, and if we're flying overnight, try and help them or encourage them to sleep. Coaches will use a little bit of it to obviously analyse the game that's just gone or the game coming up, but a lot of us do try and just treat that as downtime because essentially those 10 hours on a plane plus the transit that's our day off and then once we're back at the hotel then bang we're straight into it again so it's a little bit more downtime and on the flip side from a performance point of view when you're noticing that the the schedule or or just the general load on the players with travel and everything that's going on and they're a bit down on, on the day before a game what are some strategies that you've found effective to sort of get the group up and get them buzzing and priming them before yeah going into an important game yeah i think i mean from our point of view straight away we try and keep the schedule as normal as possible i think when you're on the east coast and you're flying north you know to south or south to north you're not really impacted by jet lag because the time in tokyo compared to sydney for example is very much the same when you're going east to west or west to east then you're impacted by jet lag so we have to try and manage that a little bit differently but in terms of the psychology of things or um, trying to get them sort of up for a game. We sort of rely heavily on our leadership groups to do that as well and 
try to give them time on away trips to have, you know, time to himself, time with the group. You know, do the group want to go out to dinner together? Do they want to have a bit of a, you know, table tennis competition? Like, what can we help them with? What can we provide as a club to help them switch off and not think about football? Because, again, yeah, when you're travelling constantly, you're thinking about the next game and that's all you're hearing about because you're around a bunch of football guys, a bunch of sport guys going to the next game. So trying to work with the leadership group, and that really comes from the head coach as well, is what can we help you guys with to keep your minds away from what can we sort of pre-plan and what can we help you guys as leaders to help the boys switch off from football and generally just enjoy each other's company. So particularly the boys that have families and they might not see them for you guys have all experienced that during COVID as well, during AFL, like it can get difficult when you're on the road. So, you know, just trying to try, trying to help them switch off in other ways yeah. as well. Yeah, and for the, I guess for the younger developing athletes listening in or parents of, of younger athletes, what are some general tips that you found quite helpful for more your junior athletes that are looking that maybe they're a bit low in motivation in the middle of the season, in a bit of a form slump and they're trying to yeah, bounce out of that? Again, yeah, it's a difficult question because everyone's a little bit different, but I think set goals and don't put too much pressure on yourself. Set, set, set small goals. If you're out of a team for whatever reason, if you're not performing too well, try and strip that back and, and probably set goals that you know you can probably achieve. Set goals that are within your limits, that are within your strengths. Peel that back, start from there and work forward. If you try to overanalyze too much, you can really dig yourself into a bit of a, a dark rabbit hole. Yeah. So, but, you know, with experience, I think we all learn how to deal with that a little bit differently. But when you're young, I think you can probably overthink it. In the gym or whether that's your sport in general, I think don't overthink it and set yep. goals. Now we've talked about the preparation side of things. What's your take on recovery? Have you got favorite methods? Is it an individual base with the athletes and, and sort of getting them to drive it? Or is it more the group's got a certain amount of recovery that they need to do? Talk us through, yeah, your philosophy with, with recovery, I guess, straight after the game and then early in the week. Yeah, I think, again, I think I've developed the way I go about that over the years. I think early on, I was very by the textbook, you know, got to do this for, for this long, jump in the ice bath here, get on the bike, down this protein within the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes of, and we're quite regimented with how we did things. But I think with experience, I, I think I've learned you need to provide the group with as many different options as possible and then allow them to choose they do and when they when they do it. So I think the two non-negotiables for me are ensuring that food's available so that they have to eat or get some type of supplementation in immediately after a game. And I think where we can is try and provide them an environment where they can actually sleep, have a good sleep and sleep in and, and, and not get them up too early to do things that they don't need to be doing. So Food and sleep are probably my two non-negotiables, but they're kind of easy to implement because let's face it, everyone likes food and everyone likes yep. to sleep. <laughs> but in terms of the other recovery me- methods, I think just having them available, I-, I think you can't go wrong with that because every athlete's got a preference. I mean, I remember when I was first coming through actually and you're trying to force boys to jump in an ice bath that absolutely hate the ice bath. And I think we've all dealt with boys like that. You just create more stress. And you create more conflict and it becomes a chore. So I think by making that available but not forcing it, forcing it upon the players, I think I've, over the years and with my experience, I think it just works a lot better. Create options, let them know that it's there, educate them, then it's your decision. Yeah, I love that. They touched on the, the big rocks of sleep and nutrition and, and how important the influence we can have on, on the environment. Yeah, it's some really good ones for, for coaches to, to understand perhaps those just starting out as well, the 
the authoritarian approach doesn't always work the best for everyone. So. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you learn that pretty quickly. What about from an industry point of view, mate? Where do you see sort of the industry going in the next five years? It seems like you've got, you're pretty hungry to constantly work on your craft. And like you'd mentioned yourself and the head coach, Tony, you're constantly challenging each other to get better. Where do you sort of see the largest growth in, in areas in high performance sport over the next sort of five years? Yeah, another good question. To be fair, I haven't really thought too much about that. Tomorrow, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, think about tomorrow, but, but I, I, I think again over time, and I'm still learning obviously, like we all do every single day, but these go on. I think you always realize, and, and the new research or whatever comes back, or the people you talk to, you can't go past doing the bait. No matter where the industry goes, where the research goes, what algorithms people come up with, or we come up with as a profession, I think. Nothing beats doing the basics well. So I think the industry will just keep going around and around in circles, coming back to do the basics well first. And obviously, you know, as technology grows and, you know, people a lot smarter than me are, <laughs> are doing all that research, there's going to be little bits and pieces that come out of it. But yeah, I think I think just understanding basics work, I think that'll never change. The development during, you know, challenging schedules and a congested schedule that involves travel both interstate as well as international. Is there anything that you'd like to touch on that we haven't potentially discussed before we wrap it up? No, off the top of my head, mate, no. No, I think it's, I think, I think you see, I work quite simply. I work quite basic. So when you're in those scenarios, I think get the basics right first, no matter how congested your schedule is, no matter what little time you have to train, get those basics in. And then the rest kind of takes care of itself if you're kind of professional away from the sport and you're doing everything. Well said. Moving into the personal side, mate, do you have pet peeves from an industry point of view, anything that makes you angry or fires you up? <laughs> I'm trying to get better in this, but lateness, I hate people being late for anything, Yep, including myself. They're apparently, um, yeah, they're apparently uh, there for the players that rock up to a gym session late or? They just know about it. I'll make sure they know about it for at least a will on end. So, <laughs> yeah, and, 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 taking, and taking shortcuts. I think I think anyone trying to take shortcuts trying to get me a little bit because sort of that's the easy way out. And they always come back around to realizing that working hard and and being consistent that that doesn't change. So they're probably little pet peeves. Probably probably not something I absolutely get angry at, but little pet peeves. Yeah, the ticker. That they're good ones. What about favorite way to spend your day off? Sounds like you're pretty busy. There's probably few and far between. Oh. <laughs> if you get one, what do you like to do? Uh, day off, get the phone away and, and just get outdoors. Whether it's, you know, good hike, good run, going for some good coffees, good feed. Just get away from the phone, put it away from a few hours and, and get outdoors. It's been harder in Melbourne because you can't pick the weather. So if <laughs> going outdoors, if I, uh, yeah, I've only been here two years and, mate, I, I still can't pick it. But, yeah, just get outdoors, mate. Go find a good coffee and, and just stay off the phone. No, I'm with you. I've lived here my whole life and, and still don't think I'll ever ever get it knowing well with Melbourne. It gets more crazy each year goes by. But yeah. what what about what's on the horizon? We're sort of recording this in April, so we're getting close to halfway through 2023. What's on the horizon for you that you, you're pumped about, you're excited for for this year? Oh, look, I mean, the fact that I worked the same head coach for, for 10 years, I, I can't plan too far ahead <laughs> from, you know, where I'm going to be and when I'm going to be kind of thing. But it's challenge, hopefully... Obviously, I've got ambitions to go overseas as well in this sport and challenge myself in a different culture. I've had an opportunity in Greece for a little while to, to work over there and absolutely loved it. So, yeah, obviously, to try and keep getting better. I've really enjoyed my time in Melbourne, particularly Amy Park. I mean, working 
alongside you guys at the Demons, working with the Melbourne Storm here, seeing a lot of, you know, professionals that you generally don't get to, to spend a lot of time with. So in the short term while I'm here, I'm really, really enjoying that, seeing different sports work. Having worked in a little bubble for a, for a little bit of time, I've really, really enjoyed that. But yeah, take it day by day. And um, we haven't had the best season on the park in terms of results this year, but uh, I'm looking forward to next year and, and flipping that script and getting back to winning ways and, and really, really enjoying it. Yeah, no doubt. You'll bounce back into the finals yeah, very soon. So, and, and yeah, really appreciate you jumping on, mate, and, and sharing with us your experiences over the last decade in, in elite sport, both how you've evolved as a practitioner, but also what's worked and people that successfully have clues. And you know, thanks for, for sharing with us some stories and insights in how you go about your craft. So, thoroughly appreciate, mate. For those who've got any follow up questions for you, is there a good place to get in contact in terms of socials? Well, yeah, I don't have social media, so <laughs> if they want to get in contact, they can probably come through you and, and you can pass them on my bus yeah. mark. So, yeah, no yeah problem. easy. Yeah, so you can send it through anywhere and I'll, I'll, I'll happily pass them on, guys, and I'll, I'll hit up Scott next time I see him and, and relay the, the information. But, yeah, thanks again, mate, and yeah, really looking forward to seeing what the rest of the year brings. And for those that have tuned in halfway through, this will live on our YouTube channel. So from now until next week, before we publish the podcast on Wednesday, you can listen to the whole episode there. We didn't muck around. We dove straight into the good stuff. So make sure to listen to the very start. And our next live interview is with Phil Morland. It'll be Thursday, the 4th of May at 1 p.m. Australian Standard Time. I'll see you guys then. Thanks again, Scott. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically 
that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever, as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm -hmm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.